0: Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. I am Andrew Hansen alongside Shane Caldwell and hope everybody had a great holiday weekend. It's now Tuesday, May 26th, 2020. And as we transition into the middle of the week, we're going to start off talking about a big transition for Big Ben Roethlisberger. And Shane, compared to where we were last fall, things are really looking up for Big Ben. Yeah, there was a lot of people kind of worried about him. You know, he
1: kind of started looking like a homeless guy with that beard, got, got a little out of control. It looked like he gained a little weight. It's not a guy that's known for his athletic training. So, And the fact that he had elbow surgery and, you know, issue with his throwing elbow, that's a little concerning. We see what this offense looked like without Ben Roethlisberger. It was not pretty. We'll, we'll talk about that today. So I think they had to get the homeless man out of isolation, you know, have him trim his beard up a little bit and get him out throwing, and now all of a sudden everyone's like, hey, Ben Roethlisberger's fine. <laughs> he's going to be good. He is the type of guy that can just, you know, roll out of bed and play a football game. So I think he's going he's gonna to be fine, and Steelers fans, you know, Steeler Nation is definitely, uh, you know, hoping that uh, he can stay healthy this year because uh, I think they have a, a good team that's uh, very competitive. Uh, they can make a playoff push if Roethlisberger stays healthy. So, yep, so they got the old homeless guy out of isolation, and he's <laughs> hopefully back to his old self. And uh, they certainly, you know, they got a good offense, and they got a good defense to go with it now. So uh, things could be looking up if 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 uh, health is uh, good for this team. So we'll, we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah, he's certainly trending in the right direction. Um, there was a story in The Athletic earlier this month where he was finally out on a practice field, in a mini-workout with Juju Smith-Schuster, Ryan Switzer, and James Conner, and just testing that surgically-repaired elbow. And Ryan Switzer was quick to describe Ben as being back to that game form. Um, you know, he just looked, and, and, and the, the zip on his pass sounded like he was ready. So, uh, you know, everybody is certainly excited for that um, because they need him. They were a mess last year offensively uh managed to go eight and eight because of their strong defense um but you know they've got to be thrilled to have their centerpiece back so it is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers that we preview today as we continue our 32-day virtual tour around the NFL and we're in the home stretch you're in the AFC North and we've got the AFC East starting up later this week and then before you know it we'll, we'll be finished it's been a lot of fun Shane and uh That's what we've been up to here at DFS Coach Talk. You can learn more about our group at dfscoachtalk.com. We cover the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. And you can pick up one of our memberships weekly, monthly, or yearly on the website, and that will be frozen until we get a pro sport back up and running in the U.S. And in the meantime, we're giving out free advice on the KBO, the Korea Baseball Organization. So you want to Get an edge in that, which is really the only DFS in town these days, other than NASCAR, which which Shane has had some success <laughs> in, um, then, uh, then come join the fun. So, uh, Shane, let's jump into the offense here. And, you know, we're going to throw out a lot of the stats from last year, but it's worth highlighting just how bad they were. OK, they were 30th in yardage, 31st in passing yardage. 29th in rushing yardage. So just an absolute mess across the board. But you can't put the blame on second-year offensive coordinator Randy Fitchner. Uh, it goes back to Ben Roethlisberger's elbow. He only played two games, and then we got to deal with Mason Rudolph and, and Hodges, and it was just a disaster. And so what I think is more important is let's look at the five years leading up to last year, 2014 through 2018. Fitchner was the quarterback's coach prior to becoming the OC in 2018, and in that five-year period, they were top 10 in points every season. They were top seven in yardage every season. They were top five in passing yardage every season. And that little five-year period culminated with the 2018 season in which Big Ben and the Steelers led the NFL in attempts, completions, and passing yardage. Uh, And they were really heavy in terms of being pass-oriented. We know about all those uh, wide receivers, the skill position players and with Antonio Brown and and Juju. But one of the themes of the show today is going to be that balance. And they were first in passing attempts, and that year they were 31st in rushing attempts. So uh, I think that's the type of balance we're going to have this year. I mean, certainly if they're winning, uh, you could see some more rushing attempts here. But with Big Ben back and healthy, I think we're going to see a lot of passing attempts this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been talking a lot. A lot of these teams that are going to just the power running game and just want to solely run the ball. You know, uh, we talked about that yesterday with the Cleveland Browns. I believe that. You know, but Ben Rosselsberger, being that, you know, I call it Roethlisberger. He's so experienced and so poised in the pocket that he's like a coach on the field and he's so good at picking defenses apart and getting them into the right play calls. Uh, so, yeah, and I think that he has a good variety of weapons here that he can attack uh, with the wide receivers and tight ends and the running backs out of the backfield is really good at that. So this offense has always been great for fantasy, uh, except for last year when we were all surprised, you know, what happened last year was really bad. But like you said, you have to pretty much throw that out. It still remains to be seen if Rosselsberger can play at an elite level without his guy, Antonio Brown, who's arguably one of the best receivers in the history. Antonio Brown obviously was a disaster last year, you know, out there at different teams. So it's probably good they got rid of him. But, you know, when they were rolling at the highest, it was all about Antonio Brown dominating and Smith Schuster able to come in as a rookie and be a superstar, you know, with Antonio Brown getting all that attention. So we haven't seen Roethlisberger have a complete dominant year without Antonio Brown yet. So I, I will bring that up, but I do think that Roethlisberger is one of the best veteran quarterbacks in the league and he can definitely pick teams apart and spread you out and cause all kinds of issues there. And they do have the personnel to do that. Uh, Deontay Johnson we'll talk about. I think it's really stepped up. Uh, I don't think they expected him to be as good so he can fill in uh some of that role Antonio Brown used to have. So, yeah, so I expect the offense to definitely take a step forward. And I think the key is can Roslapurter stay healthy? Obviously can James Conner stay healthy because he's really their only solid, you know, full three down running back that can kind of do everything. Um, Otherwise they just have a platoon of guys that they have to rotate in there. So James Conner can stay healthy. The offensive line still looks good. They got they got plenty of weapons. Uh, I think that it, it should be a really big bounce back year. So in uh, you know flying under the radar a little bit more than they used to now. So it's, it's a good
0: offense to attack there. And as we transition to the defense, one stat I want to mention is that Pittsburgh, because their offense was so terrible last year, they ran 93 fewer plays than their opponents. Which is about, you know, ten percent less. So you know, ninety-three might not sound like a lot, but it is a lot when you only run nine hundred and thirty seven yourself. So they had all this pressure on the defense because the defense was out there so much, and yet the defense was terrific, and they were a team in fantasy that we could actually play last year. Yeah, once, once they made that Minka Fitzpatrick trade, you know,
1: they had, I think it was either a 500 or losing record when they made that trade about, you know, about halfway through the season. And we we're like, why did they just give up a first round pick for this guy who was okay at the Dolphins, but wasn't great? And no one really got the trade. And then all of a sudden they go out there as soon as Minka Fitzpatrick, like the first week and the rest of the season, they just completely dominated people. I mean, in terms of sacks and interceptions and just shutting teams down. Uh, so he really kind of like, you know helped the coverage and then they paired that with the pass rush that they had which was a dominant pass rush and a really good scheme and a great coaching staff uh the defense really flew under the radar as one of the best defenses in the entire league and probably if you ask you know who was your top three to five defenses a lot of people wouldn't even have brought up the Steelers, you know if, uh until they started dominating so if you look at their stats they were fifth in defense in yards given up 4866 they were third against the pass so top three against the pass uh, 3,113 yards, so that's very good in a passing league. 14th against the rush at 1,753 yards, and sixth in points at 303 points, 18.9 points per game. Uh, so those were impressive stats. What was also impressive is they were number one in total sacks for the year and the entire NFL for team defense at 54 sacks, and number one in takeaways. So, so even though their offense was bad and gave away like, a lot of turnovers, they still had like a you know a plus eight turnover differential because their defense was number one in takeaways with 20 interceptions 18 fumble recoveries for a total of 38 takeaways so this was a great defense to be to play for your fantasy defense and not probably a great defense to target um uh, opposing offenses against just because they really limited the upside and production of opposing offenses and the team that was playing them last year didn't really have to score that much to try to beat them because the Steelers offense couldn't really score much either. So, uh, so it just was kind of an ugly old school style football, but this, the Steelers defense didn't really lose any main major players. So they got all these guys coming back and uh, you know, some of the players that were really big uh, I really liked Devin Bush is an inside linebacker. You know, he kind of filled in where that Ryan Shazier role used to be Devin Bush, super athletic guys all over the field guy who played at Michigan uh, so he was a great pickup. He had a great rookie season. And then they still have TJ Watt, of course, who's a dominant outside linebacker, edge rusher, Bud Dupree. Uh, Cameron Haywood as a defensive tackle is dominant. And then they got, had veterans like Joe Hayden, who played really good. Uh, Steven Nelson, Mike Hilton is one of the top slot corners. So you don't want to target him necessarily with slot with slot receivers. And then of course, Mika Fitzpatrick, Ter- Terrell Edmonds, uh, as the safeties there. So, this is a dominant group, and if they can stay healthy, they're going to be dominant again. Um, so, that's why things actually look good. I mean, the fact that they won eight games was probably due to the defense more because the offense was uh, obviously was pretty atrocious as we looked at those results. Uh, so, big things looking up for the defense, and it's one that you're going to want to play uh, probably early and often in, in uh, DFS if, if you can get them at a decent price, or they might be worth even paying up for as well in the, in the right matchup um, and no major changes there. Uh, I will point out, I, like Keith Butler's a great defensive coordinator, getting pressure, great schemes there. And they also last year had brought in Terrell Austin, who was a former defensive coordinator at the uh, Detroit Lions and Cincinnati Bengals. And I thought when he was with the Lions, he was a really good coach. He was actually interviewing from head coaching jobs there. So he's very good. He coaches the defensive backfield and he's the defensive assistant coach. So having two experienced, you know, defensive coordinator slash defensive coaches there helps them as well to coach these guys up. Um, so I expect big things from the defense. Again, uh, obviously really high on that. And it's just a matter. We'll see if the offense can get, get running again with big Ben in there.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned Keith Butler at the helm there, and he's been there for five years as a defensive coordinator, and they've been very consistent above average uh, in yardage, uh, both passing and rushing. Uh, and, the fact that you mentioned all those standout players who made so many big plays last year and that they're all back. Uh, things are, are really looking out for the defense as well. And the one thing that I think might change a little bit is the level of scoring in the games that the Steelers were involved in. It was incredibly low because they averaged 18 points a game, which was 27th. They only gave up 18.9, which was fifth. And if you put it all together, The total points scored in the Steelers games was third lowest last year. Only the Bears and the Bills played in lower scoring games. So we we expect that defense to continue to be strong. Uh, But if the offense picks it up and and is more explosive as we expect them to, you got to figure the defense will give up a few more points. But um, I would expect that the big plays will continue uh, those turnovers, which was huge. I mean, that plus eight turnover differentials, the only reason they went eight and eight last year. So, um, a lot of good stuff there to keep an eye on. Now yeah, let's-
1: and, I, and I will say real quick, uh, because the defense is so dominant, and they will be again this year, you know, they might want to try to run the ball. You know, traditionally, they just pick teams apart in the passing game. They might try to run the ball a little bit more if they can, if James Conner can stay healthy. So, that, that does up his value because you're going to have, you know, you're going to be able to control the clock better, obviously. Um, their, their defense is dominant. Against the pass. So if teams get down and they try to pass against them with that pass rush in the secondary, they're not going to be able to have much luck there. And then on the offensive side, you know, again, the Steelers just try to run the ball just to wear the teams out and and control the time of possession. So I could see them strategically and especially when they're at home and they're favored. Uh, They might get up big on some teams and have a little higher scoring, but might be a little more lopsided where they run in the second half more where last year they couldn't consistently run even if they, they tried to, but they couldn't really do anything anywhere. Uh, So we'll see how it goes, but yeah, I think they're pretty balanced. They're, they're a threat in both the run and the pass here. So.
0: Excellent. So let's start to break down the offensive positions and big Ben leads us off. And as we mentioned, we're going to basically throw out the numbers from last year when, He only played in two games, didn't even throw a touchdown. So I pulled the season averages for Ben over his 15 years leading into last season. He averaged 307 for 478, uh, which is a 64% completion rate, 24 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. So he's always had that two to one ratio, 7.8 YPA. And as we mentioned at the top, he was really trending up even more than that, hitting that career high. With over over 5,000 yards in 2018, so I think we'll have numbers uh, you know much higher than that, and um, you know he, he'll be he'll be ready to go. Um, your thoughts on Ben, assuming his elbow is healthy, um, do you do you agree that uh, we can anticipate that he'll exceed his career averages?
1: I mean, even if he's close to his career averages, I think it'll be still pretty uh, pretty productive for him. Yeah, we we'll have to watch him closely, like training camp in the preseason to see how the elbow's holding up. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I like the weapons. They're not so focused on one wide receiver like they were with Antonio Brown. I think they have a good variety of weapons now. Uh, so assuming they can stay healthy, the offensive line's still good, which is important for the pass protection. Uh, I, so, yeah, Ben Roethlisberger – definitely could be that guy that's uh, you know 45 over 4500 yards and I think he could get upwards of 30 touchdowns you know and and be a solid guy and the thing I like about Rossberger is he's typically cheap you know um, you know and he's usually not that expensive uh, for the most part so you, when you factor in the price he could be one of the top plays uh, and he typically plays better at home so I'll probably would target him at home you know in a good matchup you know with a little bit higher score so you have to look at some of those over unders because like you said, the way this team plays with that defense, it does kind of lean more to the lower point totals as well. So we'll see if that changes. Um, but yeah, I think he's a great play because of his price and his his overall uh, consistent floor, and he still has upside just because he's he's that type of savvy veteran. And like I said, he's like a coach on the field. The guy knows the scheme so much. Um, and I I really like it. I like uh, the tight ends. I like. Uh, Deontay Johnson and they got a new rookie coming in that we'll talk about a wide receiver so he's got plenty of guys that reliable targets to throw to so it should be a, a good year uh, if he can stay healthy that's the big if of course of this guy
0: now let's let's talk briefly about the backup position Mason Rudolph was there last year he stepped in and managed to go five and three but his numbers were poor in a low volume passing attack what, what are your thoughts on Rudolph and the fact that Pittsburgh hasn't signed another veteran yeah, I mean, my thoughts
1: were, you know, he had his full trial, he, he, you know, he had his full tryout, he got plenty of time, he played 10 games, um, I wasn't really convinced of it, they kind of talk like they think he's the quarterback of the future, but I don't really see it, so it's not a guy I'm probably interested in, even if he ends up starting, he's hard to trust in DFS, because you got to have at least decent production, even for cash games in DFS, uh, even if he is minimal price so I don't really trust him that much if he needs to play in my opinion if they could if they can fit him under the cap I'd like to see him uh, go after a quarterback like Cam Newton because if Rossisberger's elbow or get you know gives out on him or gets an injury you could throw Cam Newton in there and have the mobility and the ability to be a pocket passer because uh, I think Cam Newton's healthy again too so that's the guy that I like For this, it made sense for the Steelers to bring in and possibly, if Big Big Ben retires, Cam Newton could be the quarterback of the future for the next, you know, four or five years, uh, because you know they're probably not going to have a high draft pick to try to get a top quarterback in the draft next year right so what are they going to do at the future quarterback let's say if Ben Rossberger does retire in the next few years I, I don't know so that's where I think a, a stopgap gap like a Cam Newton would be good uh, might be uh, you know dreaming uh, if you're a Steelers fan there to have that type of backup but hey he's, he's a free agent someone's going to sign him right I don't think he's just going to sit on the sideline and do nothing
0: so yeah maybe he's just going to hold out until somebody gets hurt early in the season because he doesn't want to sign somewhere as a backup but I agree that that type of veteran would be perfect for Pittsburgh. We've been talking throughout the spring about teams that are investing in quality backups and how important that is. And you can't have any faith in Mason Rudolph, which, again, would be a shame if he's thrust into that backup role with a, a defense this, that's this uh, this strong. I mean, this is a team that could really push for uh, a playoff run, um, you know, if every, if everything clicks. so. I agree. I think it would make sense to upgrade uh, the backup quarterback. Now, let's transition to the running backs. And you've mentioned already the importance of James Conner's health. And this is a guy who put up really big numbers in 2018. He only played 12 games, but he had 1,470 yards from scrimmage. And then last year, without Big Ben in 10 games, he only had 715 yards from scrimmage. So less than half the production in only two fewer games played. Um, You know, really just highlights the importance of Connor being healthy and having Big Ben out there with him. Yeah, like I said. Big Ben's
1: keep saying it. Quarterback on the field, he's able to get him into the right reads. This guy's really good. He's a big quarterback. He can read the defense and get him into the right plays, uh, play calls, and that helps out James Conner. And then the fact that he moves the ball down the field gives James Conner more uh, touchdown upside as well, and you know more yards per carry. Just everything uh, it helps in there. Uh, James Conner. You know, it's kind of like we're – I'm going to sound like a broken record. If he can stay healthy, you know, (laughs) then I I do like James Conner, especially in a PPR format like DraftKings because James Conner's really good. uh, You know, he's he's a tough, strong in-between-the-tackles runner, so he can do everything, but he's really good out of the backfield catching passes. He's a great playmaker out of the backfield, and Ben Rossberger trusts him, and Ben Rossberger has a knack for, for uh, throwing balls to the uh, guy of the backfield. You remember Le'Veon Bell dominating there in the receiving game out of the backfield for years. So I like, I like his prospects, especially in a PPR. And, you know, he had uh, last year, 464 yards is not great. Four yards per per reception, but they kind of knew they were going to run the ball. It was kind of telegraphed. They didn't have any passing threat at all, really with Mason Rudolph at the helm. He had four uh, running touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. Now in 10 games, he caught, uh, almost all his targets. He had 39 targets. He caught 34 passes, 251 yards and three receiving touchdowns. And that's with, again, a really bad quarterback in there. So I'm looking at really big production out of the receiving game. And when you have a full PPR format, that is just huge for these running backs. It raises their floor and their ceiling. Uh, And so I do like his upside. And again, I think his price is cheap. Uh, I don't think he's going to be touted as a guy that's uh, uh, an expensive guy, uh, in the daily, uh, fantasy, uh, format. So because his price is cheap and he has, you know, running back one upside, I do really like him last year in the short span he played, he had top games of 31, 27, 26 and 15. And that's, you know, without Rosselsberger. So, um,
0: so that's where I do like his upside and I I like his outlook for this year. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that the touchdown upside, um, and the yards per carry, those were much higher in 2018. He had 12 rushing touchdowns in just 12 games played. So uh, he was very effective. He caught 55 passes that year in only 12 games. Um, and you mentioned that high catch rate. So, uh, you know, he's really valuable. Uh, I, I'm a big fan. And, the, you know, the one downside is, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin doesn't really know when to step on the brakes with this guy. He'll just give him all those carries, even late in games. And we've seen it, you know, catch up with him with with the injuries. It was week seven against Miami, and I'm sitting there watching, and they're feeding him the ball late in the game. He doesn't need to be out there. He's already well over 100 yards, and sure enough, he gets dinged up. Um, So I'd like to see them, you know, see him give up a few carries, uh, get these backups in there some more to make sure he's healthy week to week. Yeah, I mean they did draft a rookie that we can talk about, and Anthony McFarland Jr.
1: from Maryland, and I think that he's he's a he's an undersized guy, but he does have really pl- good playmaking speed and good vision. He can run between the tackles, so he will be able to come in there and spell him. Where the other backups like Jalen Samuels, not really like a, a running type back. He's more like a hybrid tight end. Pass catching running back so so I like the, the rookie that they drafted they took him in the fourth round. Uh, we'll talk about how they, they have a Maryland connection there. Uh, so I, I think that with them with him coming in uh, McFarland that, that will spell Connor and give him a little bit more of a break. Um, but Connor still, if you look at Connor the way he set up though. He's one of the few workhorse three down backs because you don't see those as much anymore. And he's one of the ones that's probably the cheapest workhorse three down back that has that type of receiving upside in a, in a, a really good offense when they have their co- their star quarterback healthy. So uh, so again, he's just another guy that I feel like it's flying under the radar. A lot of people aren't really high on him, but uh, you, you have to really pay attention to him.
0: Well, let's, let's jump right to Anthony McFarland jr. Here. This is the fourth round pick out of Maryland. And I, I think this could be a, a bit of a tricky situation, actually. I think James Conner is is tough. He's smart. He's versatile. You know, great catching passes. I think he's got everything he needs to be a three-down back in this offense. But I really like the profile of Anthony McFarland, and I'm a little bit concerned. Um, you know, especially if you're, you're looking at season-long, I, I just think there's a decent chance that Anthony McFarland at some point is going to get a, you know a much bigger share of the early down rushing opportunities uh, as compared to what we've seen previously with Pittsburgh you know favoring Bell and then favoring Connor and, and not spreading it around much because uh, if if you look at McFarland he's got much better speed than Connor you know, he ran a 4 4 4 40 all right that is terrific and you know, he's he isn't as good, I would say, in between the tackles like Connor. But outside the tackles, I mean, this is a home run hitter and he does have, you know, an edge in that speed, that breakaway speed compared to Connor. We've seen Connor get chased down on the sidelines a couple times and he just doesn't, you know, just because he gets a little bit of a gap, it doesn't mean he's going to take it to the house. But McFarland is the, the type of the, the, the type of player who will Um so I'm really high on him. What do you think of the chances that, you know, he could be a real thorn in Connor's side, you know, earlier rather than later? Uh, I am actually
1: not worried about that unless Connor gets injured, of course. Now, I think Anthony McFarland is great. Um, the uh, I will mention that Maryland connection. So, uh, so he played at Maryland under uh, their offensive coordinator uh, and actually interim head coach in 2018 was Matt Canada, who the Steelers hired as their new quarterback coach this year? So Matt Canada has a lot of experience at the college level as an offensive coordinator, including offensive coordinator for teams like LSU, Wisconsin, Maryland. So he's got a lot of creative concepts that he can bring to this offense. So I think he could be actually a replacement for Randy Fitchner and kind of develop, uh, really help the quarterbacks, but help the offense overall. So obviously they're high on this guy. One of the guys that's a major influence in the off and uh, the coaching staff uh, had this guy in college, so they like him. And also uh, he played with uh, Mike Tomlin's son. Mike, uh, Mike Tomlin's son played at Maryland. So he obviously watched a lot of Maryland games. He knows a lot about these guys. So he trusts them. Uh, but I will say that this is, a, this is a guy that's undersized. So he does have good speed, but he's only 5'8", you know, about 198. Uh, so he's a little bit undersized. And some, some of those undersized guys, even if they have decent speed, don't always translate in the NFL. So I look at him as a little bit more of a scat back type guy, You know, he can he didn't have a lot of production receiving game, but he can catch the ball in the backfield. But I question whether he's going to be able to pass protect in the NFL level and whether he's going to be able to handle the physicality in the in the additional speed. There's a big difference between playing in the Big Ten with the speed and having four speed in the NFL doesn't, you know, linebackers have that type of speed. It's my point. Right. So it's not that I don't like the guy. I just don't see him having a breakout season unless there's crazy injuries again. Um, So I think he's, I think he's decent. He will get in the mix, but I don't think he's going to eat into uh, James Conner where it's going to hurt Conner's fantasy production. I think that, you know, he, he might get, you know, 20, 30% of the snaps to help, to help spell him, which is good. Um, And he'll produce a little bit there, but I'm not looking at him, as a guy that's going to translate into be a star in the league, I think he's just going to be a solid, uh, you know, change of pace type guy. It, it it is a little easier for running backs to trans to to translate to the league as a rookie than other positions, but I just don't see this guy as is an instant. Uh, he's going to be a contributor, but not like an instant star, and I'm
0: not I'm not worried about him. So we'll, we'll okay. see though. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a fun one for us to watch because you and I are yep. usually in perfect alignment on some of yep. these projections. But yep. uh, I mean, the, the way I look at it is just from a from a coaching perspective, to have a guy with the explosive speed getting more carries on first and second down, and then you yep. bring Connor in on third down, who's terrific as a pass catcher. He's got more experience and more strength uh, for pass protection. Yeah. Um, and you know, I agree. McFarland was a little bit undersized. He did put on some weight for the combine, so he he weighed in so, at two oh eight. So he put on about ten pounds. Yeah. Uh, So we'll just have to keep an eye on it.
1: I mean, I will say it's a great scheme for him. The coaches obviously have familiarity with him, and they do have a great offensive line. This is the type of guy, though, that he's not really a guy that's going to break a lot of tackles. I think he's got pretty good vision. So if you can open up holes for him, like you said, his speed and explosion is great through the hole. It's just I question his ability to make tacklers miss and break tackles and be able to handle the physicality. I don't know if the speed will be as big an advantage in the NFL, being that everyone's fast in the NFL. Uh, so I do I do like him. He's going to pop off for some plays. I just don't like him as a guy that they're going to trust for a ton of volume. Uh, but you never know what's going to happen, you know, <laughs> in, in the NFL. With it. And like I keep saying, if James Conner can stay healthy, too, because, yeah, if. Obviously, if Connor gets injured, then everyone's going to be going nuts over McFarland. Yeah. The whole fantasy community is going to be going nuts because they know the type of production you can get there. Uh, because then that that would put Farland probably in the early early down uh, role, and then you would just throw uh, your other uh, the other uh, running back, who's the uh, Jalen Samuels, you know, maybe in the passing down, right? So uh, so these backups have have came have came through before uh, guys like Jalen Samuel in in daily fantasy. Uh, And sometimes they're good chalk and sometimes they're bad chalk when they're when one of the guys gets injured. So so that remains to be seen. But it is a good situation for him, uh, being that they don't really have much depth at the running back besides James Conner. So that so so that will help your argument that this guy's an instant contributor, fact that they don't have much depth. There's not really anyone else that's going to beat this guy out. Um, so that's a good thing. It's just a matter if they want to continue to ride James Conner as a, as a workhorse back, which I think they will. But, uh, you know, there'll be a little bit of change of pace there to keep him healthy, like
0: you said. So so we'll, we'll have to keep a close eye on that. It'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it's a it's a good segue talking about uh, the chalk, because, you know, we know that when Conner was out last year, that was one of the biggest decisions for everybody week to week. You know, do we play Jalen Samuels? Do we play Benny Snell? And you know, neither guy really lived up to par uh, as, an, as a three-down back, for sure. You know, Samuels was much better catching the ball, and Snell was better running the ball. Um, Samuels, he got 66 carries, but he only averaged 2.7 yards per carry, and he scored once. Now, receiving, he caught 47 for 305 in a score, so that's where he was really terrific. And, in, in fact, in his first start against Indianapolis he caught 13 balls for 73 yards so he gave you over 20 fantasy points just by catching the ball so uh you know I I agree um you know Pittsburgh doesn't have the depth for a three down back but early in the season Samuels could continue to be that third down back if McFarland's not uh, getting many snaps and, and he does have some value there uh, but then with Benny Snell, uh, he was better at carrying the ball. He had a 108 carries for 426. so that's 3.9 per carry. He scored twice, but he only caught three balls. So uh, we, we so, sort of saw the divide there with those backups in terms of how Pittsburgh viewed them. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll come down to Connor's health and you know, how much McFarland impresses everybody in the, in the offseason and the preseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think McFarland is going to pass those other guys, those other backups on the depth chart, being that they're not really great and that this guy has a lot of talent. Uh, It's just he's only going to have a limited snap share, though, and limited uh, carry share here in this backfield. uh, And, you know, it's possible, like you said, uh, later in the year, the rookie gets better and better as the year goes on that he gets more uh, share there. But there's still going to be plenty of volume to go around for James Conner here. And uh, I think McFarland, like I said, will just be a change of pace type guy to help. Uh, help with the depth there. So, um, and then if an injury happens then uh, we reevaluate it cause then everything changes <laughs> again. So
0: yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, let's transition to the wide receivers and Juju Smith Schuster, uh, you know, the number one with Antonio gone and he like many others suffered greatly without big Ben, uh, after a career year in 2018, when he caught 111 balls, For 14, 26 and seven touchdowns. It was not, you know, easy sledding last year uh, after Big Ben went down.
1: Yeah, I remember this guy was supposed to be like a top 10 wide receiver last year going in the preseason. You remember it's like Antonio's Brown's gone. Juju Smith is gonna Juju Smith's is gonna be the next Antonio Brown, right? And we found out it's not that easy. It doesn't help when Big Ben goes down. But uh, he was really disappointing last year. You know, he had injury issues, but it seemed like once Ben Big Big Ben went down, he just didn't seem like he was motivated at all. He didn't have chemistry with any of the backup quarterbacks, you know, and he seemed like a, the the opposing defenses were putting a lot of attention on him where he wasn't used to that because normally they're doubling Antonio Brown. So I brought up in the intro Antonio Brown talking about that. I think that that plays a big role in that. So Juju Smith-Schuster was better with one-on-one coverage, kind of you know getting the second cornerback. Uh, but all of a sudden when you have the team's top opposing cornerback and safety help, Playing you, it makes it a lot harder, right? So that's so that's kind of what I think what happened is he had a lot more coverage than he's used to, a lot better competition, and a not as good quarterback. So I think the reality is he is a star receiver, but he's not in that top ten or even probably top fifteen category. You might have to drop him a little bit lower than that, but he's still a top notch receiver. Uh, he's still you know, borderline wide receiver one. So, so I still like him once Ben Rossesberger comes back and he's a guy that if because of his bad production last year, that his price goes way down, then it's a guy that we will target in the, in the right game if we think it's higher scoring because the price went down, but you just can't expect him to be that top tier uh, elite wide receiver. I don't, I don't know that he's going to produce that, but he is, he has a good ceiling uh, when he can do it, but, I got to see it without Antonio Brown in that offense without, you know, and see if he can be the number one wide receiver because there's other weapons there's a lot of mouths to feed now in this offense. So uh, what do you think? You think Schuster has a bounce back year here, or you think he was just overhyped last year or what's the deal with him?
0: I think both of those, I completely (laughs) agree with your breakdown. I think he, you know, he has to bounce back uh, after last year's disaster, but I don't think he'll get to 111 catches, um, you know, for the reasons you mentioned. You know, with, without Antonio Brown there, I'd say more likely, you know, in that 85 to 90 catch range, you know, he's still going to get a lot of attention. So, uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on his price. Uh, last year only hit value twice at a 12 game. So uh, basically a lost season for Juju. Now, with the rest of the group, uh, last year we saw a lot of James Washington and a lot of Deontay Johnson. Where, where do you want to start? Yeah, so I, obviously I'm high on Deontay Johnson. Uh, this guy was a guy that got
1: in the third round, and uh, I think a lot of Steelers fans didn't really like the pick in the third round in, in uh, 2019 and didn't think this guy was really going to contribute. But the Steelers are known for evaluating receivers and getting good receivers. Uh, so I think this guy kind of came out of nowhere. If you look at the production he put up with mostly Mason Rudolph as the quarterback, this is really good, especially for a rookie who was kind of an undersized guy that was under the radar, you know, that people didn't think was a good third round pick. So if you look at him and he did play all 16 games, so he showed the toughness as a rookie there. He had 92 targets. And because I think partially because of the bad quarterback play, he only caught 59 of those catches, but still he led the team in receiving with uh with receptions at least uh 59 catches 680 yards 11.5 average and five touchdowns so even though he's a smaller guy he showed you know he was the number one uh receiving touchdown guy as well on the team uh so so i was really impressed with this guy i think it's just his route running and his quickness and short short area quickness his ability to beat one-on-one coverage and beat linebackers in the middle across the middle of the field i was really impressed and he showed that he can get deep too he broke a couple long plays uh, so he's not a burner, but he just seems to play fast. Uh, so I think this guy's a baller. And if you if you think about him in the Antonio Brown role as kind of a poor man's Antonio Brown with Roethlisberger in his first to second year leap, typically rookies will take a jump there. Uh, this guy actually is really good. And, of course, what I really like about him is he's cheap. He was always around. You know, he's the guy that you can get for, you know, 5500 on FanDuel and, you know, what was he, 4000 something like that on DraftKings. So he's super cheap and he finished the year strong. So there's a lot of things trending up for him. So this is a perfect example of Deontay Johnson, more of a PPR type guy really good I think on FanDuel I think he will be uh he will get a lot of receptions uh with Ben in there and then James Washington is kind of like the big play threat they take a couple shots down the field he's more like a FanDuel play that you get at minimal price or something like that or you know near minimal price because uh, he's a really good deep threat. Uh, he's, he's really strong, physical, kind of getting off the press coverage and getting deep down the field. And Ross doesn't have any issue taking a shot with him. I think that Rudolph just didn't have very good accurate deep balls as well. That was the problem where Ross throws a pretty good deep ball. Uh, so I like James Washington for his big playability as well. Um, and What do you think about those two guys there?
0: Yeah, again, I agree. Deontay Johnson, certainly a favorite of mine on DraftKings last year. He started out at that minimum price of 3 k He did work his way up to just over 5,000, but you're right. He was mostly in that 4K range, and he hit value more than anybody else on this team on DraftKings. Six out of 16 games, he he got you three x or more, and like you said, led the pass catchers in receptions and touchdowns. Uh, Very impressive, and and you got to expect he'll take a step forward in his second year. And then uh, James Washington, certainly more of that deep threat uh, for FanDuel, his yards per catch. Uh, 5.2 yards greater than Johnson, so uh, you know not not as frequent in terms of the receptions, but um, you know farther down the field when when he did get catches. Um, and and you know you make a great point there, Ben. Uh, certainly going to be a step up in terms of the the deep ball, uh, so we could see Washington, uh, you know make you know have have bigger numbers overall. But we also have. The second round draft pick out of Notre Dame, Chase Claypool, and this guy is a physical freak. Six foot four, 238, and he ran a 4 4 How about that?
1: Yeah, no, I'm very excited about this guy. The Steelers didn't think he was going to make it all the way to the second round at the 49th pick. Um, so I don't know if they planned on really taking a wide receiver at their first pick. Uh, they traded their, you know, their very first round pick for Mika Fitzpatrick, but worked out. But then the second round at pick 49 to get this guy, I think he's a first round talent. He kind of flew under the radar. You know, he played at Notre Dame, wasn't really a high volume passing attack. But let's look at last year's stats in Notre Dame, which wasn't a great passing offense. 66 catches, 1,037 receiving yards, 15.7 average, his big play threat, and 13 touchdowns. So the guy absolutely dominated, uh, and he really used that physicality, that size, you know. Uh, he's got the four, four speed at the 40, but he really, uh, when you try to press this guy, he's just so physical. He could just punch you and just, just dominate you. Uh, when it was time to, for the running block, he would just dominate people with run blocking. So he really helps with the run blocking too, even though you don't think about it as for a wide receiver and his ability to go up and high point the ball, his big catch radius and, you know, good hands and ability to kind of You know, uh, stay balanced, maneuver his body, uh, really good at catching catching those acrobatic throws. So he's a big red zone threat and a big, big threat. And this is the type of guy Ben Roethlisberger loves because he'll just throw it up to him and let him go do his thing. Uh, So even as a rookie, I think that he's so physically dominating uh, that the guy is actually he's kind of like a bully on the field. I think he can translate to the NFL uh, pretty quick there. Uh, It's going to take a little while to get used to the route the route tree and the offense and the timing. So that's why I don't expect him to contribute like right away, but eventually he's going to eat into James Washington, probably on the field, or he's going to get on the field if someone gets injured. So I really like this guy in the the, the NFL comparisons. You can look at uh, back in the day, uh, Martavis Bryant in this offense was dominant and he was another guy that was big and physical and had elite straight line speed they would take those deep shots and you remember him having some huge gains with Ben Roethlisberger. So if you think of Chase Claypool playing the similar type uh, role, uh, that, would, that, that would be excellent if he can get similar production as Martavius Bryant used to, except for he has a lot better uh, off the field presence and a lot better character Chase Claypool does. He's a real high character, working type guy. Um, and, and then you also can think about comparisons kind of like DK Metcalf, not quite as fast as DK Metcalf. But like DK Metcalf, just big and physically dominating, really fast straight line speed, but not necessarily quick getting in and out of brakes. So he has some agility issues, but he still has good explosion and speed, just not as good uh, for the agility part. So that's where he's a little more limited. But he'll 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 just dominate people, box them out, you know, be able to jump right over them and be able to. Uh, he's not going to have as difficult uh, issue with the physicality of the NFL, like a lot of receivers do, um, you know, or these undersized guys.
0: So that's where I think I like his transition to the NFL. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I think he's going to take a big bite out of James Washington's production as we get going, you know, towards the middle of the season down the stretch. I mean, if you compare the two, uh, you know, Claypool is much bigger than Washington. He's much stronger He's significantly faster, and he has better hands. You know, James Washington only caught 55% of the targets last year. Um, you mentioned, you know, these highlight reel catches from Claypool last season, where he's contorting his body on deep balls, you know, along the sidelines and in the corner of the end zone, and coming down, coming down with it so often. Um, Big Ben has to be salivating over this size of a target. In the red zone and on deep ball. So if he can just figure out the offense, I think he's really going to cut into James Washington and he's going to be a very important factor in DFS. Now, the one other guy to mention here in this receiving core, from my perspective, is Ryan Switzer. And again, he had a down year last year without Big Ben. He only caught eight passes. But the year before, you know, he was he was important. He caught 36 passes for 253 yards and a score. And he's the type of guy that can be important on DraftKings in a, in a showdown slate. And as I mentioned at the top, you know, he was one of the two receivers working out with Big Ben in that uh, workout earlier in May. And they've got an off-field bond. You know, they're close families. They, they spend time together. They have shared interests. Uh, so I think there's enough chemistry there where um, certainly if anybody gets hurt, but even in some four-wide sets, I think Switzer can make an impact. Any thoughts on him before we go to the tight ends?
1: Yeah, I mean he is—he is—he's got really good uh, quickness, the short area quickness. So he—he he definitely profiles great as a slot guy. He helps on special teams, so I think he's really gonna have to fight to make this team. I think that he probably will if Rossesberger likes him and he contribute on special teams. But yeah, if you have some injury issues, he can definitely get in the mix there. Um, but he's a guy that can run some gadget plays and he's really quick in the slot. I mean, they can use him in the red zone just because he's so quick in there in, in, inside, Inside, even though he's not a big guy. It's just those little quick routes uh, get him matched up against a linebacker or a safety, right? So that's the, that's the type of thing they would do with him. So, yeah, so it's a guy that you have to keep, keep your eye on because he could actually get in the mix there, uh, especially if Deontay Johnson gets injured or something like that.
0: All right, great. Well, let's transition to the tight end group. And uh, another big splash here is big Eric Ebron. Is now in town for the Steelers and Mr. Detroit Sports Shane, you know all about Ebron from way back before uh, before he got drafted. So take us back to draft day. Uh, yeah. As, as a Detroit fan, when they uh, they decided to pick him in the first round.
1: Yeah. So I was telling Andrew this story. It's a pretty good pretty good uh, story. This is what it's like to be a Detroit Lions fan. So 2014. I'm studying. We got the 10th pick. It's a big draft for us to try to make, you know, get the Lions to be, you know, be able to be a playoff team. And uh, we're looking at, I keep hearing rumors, there's this guy that they're looking at, we need a defensive tackle, we need to get better against the run, and he fits the scheme and all that stuff. This guy named Aaron Donald out of Pittsburgh uh, so we really need to, uh, I think that they're going to take him at the 10th pick. I think he'll be an instant contributor. The guy's solid And then the, 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 the you know, the critics, he's kind of undersized though. Is he going to get washed up in the NFL and not going to be able to produce because it's undersized. And then, uh, you hear reports at the senior bowl, Aaron Donald is dominating. He's just completely annihilating people in one-on-ones at the senior bowl. And the lions really like that. We're like, yes, we're going to take Aaron Donald. Right. So he gets in the draft 2014. We got the 10th pick. Aaron Donald's on the board. So we take Eric Ebron. Great. I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's super fast and athletic and he's just going to completely dominate with Matthew Stafford. It's going to be awesome. And then two picks later at number 12, the New York Giants take a guy named Odell Beckham, who ended up uh, working out pretty good, especially those first couple seasons. Uh, and then at 13, uh, the uh, the Rams take this guy named Aaron Donald that i have been doing, been, that I was so excited about the, to fit into the lion scheme and it was going to be awesome. Uh, so you can see that they, they kind of missed there a little bit on that pick because what happened was Ebron came in and I'm um, following training camp reports and the guy can't pick up the offense. He's having a hard time, I think it was Scott Linehan at the time, if I remember right. He couldn't pick up the offense, so he couldn't get on the field. So then when he was on the field, he's constantly thinking because he doesn't even know where the heck he's supposed to line up. He literally wasn't lined up correct. So then Stafford would wing a pass, and there Stafford throws the ball pretty fast. The guy couldn't catch the ball at the time. So they got this guy. He's big and physical and fast. He can't catch the ball. He can't run routes. He can't pass block, and he doesn't know the offense, right? So eventually he developed where he could get be a contributor, but he never did anything for Detroit. He had his best year with Andrew Luck you know where he was the more of a veteran uh with the Colts my point is I'm a little sour on Eric Ebron because that you can understand <laughs> you know we missed a, probably one of the best defensive players in this generation uh you know and we missed another good offense player in Odell Beckham that they could have paired with Calvin Johnson at the time imagine Odell Beckham and Calvin Johnson right are you kidding me so it's just ridiculous so anyways I'll, t- I'll stop talking about that but I thought it was a cool story and I think that Ebron uh can play that big slot role and really get in the mix here and cause a lot of mismatches. And Ben Roethlisberger is really good at getting the ball to uh, tight ends, just like Andrew Luck was. So if you look at the year, uh, if you look at the year that Ebron had a great year, I think it was 2018, yes. scored a ton of touchdowns. And he was kind of splitting time uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah. Jack Doyle. Yeah. O'Doyle or whatever. <laughs> so, so this kind of, you know, O'Doyle would be like Vance, Vance McDonald and Ebron would, would be like he was in that offense with a good quarterback, a good veteran quarterback. So I I think that Ebron could have a bounce back year, but I still just don't like the fact he's not very good at catching passes. Uh, so let's hope that Ebron being that he's a more, more mature veteran, that he can actually learn this offense and actually contribute it with and, and mesh well with Ben Rossberger. So he is a tight end that you have to keep an eye on, but he is going to be uh, splitting sometime with uh, Vance McDonald who knows this offense a lot better and has a lot better chemistry with Rosselsberger as well but Vance McDonald might also be staying in to block a little more why Ebron's more of a receiving role so being that Ebron has pretty much purely a receiving role as a tight end it's a guy that you have to pay attention to in fantasy because he is a target there and they have a good reputation in this offense with tight ends there so uh, so that's my Ebron's uh, spiel there <laughs> What do you what do you think about Ebron? <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and I agree. This is a, this, the challenge here is the, the bounce back attempt for both Ebron and McDonald. Uh, that big year in 18 that you mentioned for Ebron, he caught 66 for 750 yards and 13 touchdowns. You know, yeah, that's that a complete outlier. outlier. Yeah, it's an outlier. Was but it was. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, Big Ben likes to go to the tight end. And, uh, you know, there's a real opportunity here for a bunch of scores for Ebron. And then with McDonald, same thing. Two years ago with Big Ben, he caught 50 passes for 6'10, got in the end zone four times, and then numbers were down across the board last year. Um, so, you know, both of these guys are going to be trying to bounce back. I do agree that Ebron is going to be the lead guy and get the most early season red zone opportunities. Um, so, uh, certainly a candidate on both sides based on his price.
1: Yeah, and it might take Ebron. Um a little bit more time to get into it more in the middle of the season, being that, like I said, this guy doesn't have a history of catching up on offenses that well picking up, but he did do it with uh, the Colts pretty quick, you know, when he signed, when he had signed with them. So, uh, so yeah, I think that, you know, he's a great receiving back and uh, Ben Roethlisberger just has a knack of, of, of catch, of, of getting the ball to those guys and, and running backs out of the backfield. He just, if they end up having a lot of passing volume, like they did in 18, he, you know, he uses all his weapons, including these tight ends. So, uh, you know, and, uh Ebron is is great in the red zone because he's got good size and strength, and he's kind of like a basketball player. He'll, he'll post you up. You know, he can he can make – he actually, that year, he was making all kinds of good acrobatic catches. I was like, where was this at with the Lions, man? He couldn't even right. catch a wide-open pass, you know. So uh, so we'll we'll see which version of Ebron we
0: get. That's the, the thing you have to keep your eye on. <laughs> well, Shane, that was a fun uh, throwback story to 2014 in Detroit, and uh, that's a perfect seg- segue into Twitter. Tell everybody where they can find you there.
1: So I'm at uh, Twitter and Instagram uh, is DET Sports Shane. So DET Sports Shane. So definitely check me
0: out there. Absolutely. And you can follow me on Twitter at Language Olympic. Uh, Before we get into the draft wrap up, just want to mention that you can find us anywhere podcasts are found. And we're putting these up on video now with with uh, YouTube. So head over there and click the notification so you know when our daily podcast is up. We do these uh, podcasts seven days a week in front of the paywall. uh, So we do appreciate your support on social media with the thumbs up and the likes. And uh, Shane, we've hit on some of these draft picks, um, starting with that second rounder for Chase Claypool. Uh, they They weren't able to make as big of a splash in the draft this year because they traded that first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick, but anything we need to hit on that's going to stand out from the draft class?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, we definitely hit on uh, Claypool a lot, uh, and we talked about Anthony McFarlane a lot, so those guys are going to be contributors, uh, positions of need, and they're going to to contribute right away. They took uh, outside linebacker, edge rusher in the third round, Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. He was kind of a walk-on, you know, developmental guy, turned out to be a really good player at Charlotte. And he's 6'4, 242. So he's a guy that they will work in the mix at outside linebackers. They run the 3'4 scheme. So a developmental, you know, kind of pass rush type guy who needs to improve uh, the run, though. Um, so as he develops his technique and puts on a little bit more size in the league, they will develop him to be a starting outside linebacker to, you know, to get someone that's a little more affordable in there. Uh, so I think that he's a good prospect. He can be a pass rusher right away in pass tough situations. And this is a sneaky pick here that was really good in round four, pick 135. They took Kevin Dotson, a guard out of Louisiana. Uh, and this guy is a big road grader type guy, six, four, 321 pounds. And when we talk about that running game with James Conner, this guy's really going to help it. He's going to be competing for the uh, starting guard position. Um, I think it was the left guard position. He's going to be competing to start with that. He's projected as the starter. And this guy was a dominant run blocker. He He would just dominate people at the college level and expect him to come in and contribute right away. He needs to improve his technique, his uh, pass protection a little bit, but he's got a ton of potential. So I expect him to be a part of this uh, really good, already good offensive line and make a big difference in the run game. Uh, so he's a guy that you get in the fourth round that could be a day one starter and in a, in a long-time uh, starter in that in, interior offensive line, which is really important. And then the other position you need is safety because behind Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds they don't have much depth. Um, they lost the safety in the off season, uh, which was, uh, I think, Mark Barron. Uh, so they took Antonio Brooks, Jr., another guy out of Maryland. Again, there's a Maryland connection there. They, you know, uh, Tomlin's son played there and one of their coaches was coaching there. Uh, and this guy is he's almost like he's a strong safety. He's 5'11", 213. He's almost like a linebacker hybrid because if you watch his film, he just he, this is another guy that's just super strong. And it gets right up in the box and just is he's a big hitter. Uh, and he can really punish people in the run game. So he's the type of guy that can really help with the run supportive teams. They're trying to run at him. They can put him in sub packages. He needs to improve his coverage. He doesn't really have good fluidity in the coverage. He kind of gets lost in coverage. So he's not a good coverage safety, but as a strong safety kind of putting him in the box. This is a guy that can contribute and provide depth at a much needed position there. Um, and then they took a defensive tackle out of Nebraska, a guy that they'll work in uh, as a rotational player and see if he can make the team in uh, Carlos Davis. Um, so overall, obviously we like the wide receiver and running back that we talked about Anthony McFarland and chase chase Claypool. And then really like the guard, Kevin Donson because I think he's going to start from day one and that safety is a tough physical guy against the run that they can, they can get in the mix and provide depth. So I think it was a pretty, pretty good draft. And if you were going to add in there the first round pick is Mika Fitzpatrick, who's basically an all pro safety now, right? Uh, then you would say, OK, that's a really good draft if you were to if you were to say they took him in the first round, because that's essentially what they did. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, the team team's looking good. It's just amazing how make a couple additions and you bring back your, uh, your hall of fame quarterback, you know, uh, and the team looks a lot different. And when you have that type of good defense and you can control the, control the game flow like that and get those type of turnovers and then cut down your turnovers on offense, the Steelers are going to compete. The problem is the, the Baltimore Ravens, Uh, are in their division and i project the baltimore ravens to be the best team in the nfl you know uh, by quite a bit in in my opinion uh, as as we get into the the 2020 rosters and what's going on there Um, so any other thoughts on these uh, draft picks or
0: anything i know that was uh, kind of covered quite a bit there no i agree i think if you count fitzpatrick as a first rounder it's a it's a slam dunk draft for these guys and you know because their their defense was so strong last year you know they're really drafting for depth on on, on some of these picks, um, and you got Big Ben coming back. So I agree. I think this uh, the the outlook is bright. I've got Pittsburgh winning at least nine games this year. I like how their schedule breaks out. First three weeks they get to play the the Giants, the Broncos, and the Texans. Uh, they also get to play Jacksonville and Washington. A couple of their non-division games. So I, I like how the the schedule breaks out for them, uh, and I think they'll. I don't think they'll uh, overtake Baltimore in the division, but uh, I put my money on the Steelers making the playoffs this year in a, in a tough AFC. So uh, that's going to do it. We're going to talk about those Baltimore Ravens uh, tomorrow here on DFS coach Talk. So I do hope you'll uh, join us for that. Uh, We do like to mention our fearless leader, Joe Sarvati, affectionately known as coach. His favorite charity is mamba on So feel free to give that a look. And once again, we thank you for all your support. We are a new entity here at DFS Coach Talk. We launched in early 2020. uh, So uh, we're having a great time and we appreciate everyone's support. So on behalf of Shane Caldwell and his excellent work once again today, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you for joining us and be sure to tune in again tomorrow for the next episode of DFS Coach Talk.